Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode of The Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter, finishing a better wingman, airman, and leader. So today we're continuing our fatigue series. What are we covering today? So today we're going to wrap up our discussion on fatigue. In the last episode, we talked about physical fatigue and spiritual fatigue. And today we're going to focus on the mental and social aspects of fatigue, kind of rounding out the four pillars of resilience, at least as we see it. And fatigue is such a dynamic topic that we felt in order to do it justice, we had to cover it uh, looking at it from these different perspectives because we can be tired but maybe not understand what it is that's contributing to that feeling of exhaustion. And so by parceling out into these different components, it can make a lot more sense. And then that drives what we want to do about it. So uh, appropriately, myself as the psychologist, I'm gonna tackle the mental component of fatigue. Thank you, Chaplain, for letting me go first. And really, I think we can actually further divide the mental component of fatigue down into uh, subs- subsets, which is cognitive or you know, basically thought process and emotional fatigue. So the cognitive type of fatigue, that happens when we are completely engaged in work or in school. We are thinking critically and thinking hard for so long to the point where our mind just feels heavy and worn out. We've talked uh, or thought uh, so deeply into so many different aspects um, of our job and in the different tasks that we had, and maybe we were doing a lot of different things at once and had to constantly bounce from one thing to another, that by the end of the day, we just can't think anymore. And I've experienced this um, a lot when I'm when I'm talking with folks one-on-one and uh, trying to get inside their heads and, and see things from their perspective. It takes a lot of mental energy. And so if you're one of those folks who are constantly interacting with other people, you can experience this mental fatigue as well. So one of the best recipes for helping cure that mental fatigue, I think, is uh, intuitively mindless activities. We essentially want to give our, our brains a chance to switch off so we can detach and unwind and not have to uh, make big decisions or uh, keep applying that strategic mindset and things that we do. So I know a lot of our folks like to play video games. I myself am am one of those, but I'll tell you when I am uh, mentally exhausted, uh, cognitively exhausted, the last thing I want to come home and do is play a puzzle video game. Um, or, or one that requires me to think logically or analytically. I want a corridor, shoot 'em up type video game. I'm sure you guys can think of the popular ones out right now, but it's pretty, you know, mind-numbingly straightforward. You know, you basically <laughs> direct your target and you shoot. Yeah. Um, nothing complicated about it, but that's good to, to help me unwind in those types of situations. And also, I would say, when you're in that state and, and you notice that you're feeling cognitively fatigued, you want to avoid making really big life decisions. Um, getting married uh, or getting divorced, buying a house, uh, making a big career change and things of that nature. And part of that is because you're not only in the right frame of mind, but you've also probably used up all of your decisions for the day. And Chaplain, you and I have talked uh, before about decision decision fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Could you could you go into that? Absolutely. So it was based in Israel. A study was done where they went into a courtroom. And the presupposition, the belief of the researchers was that the court, made up of five judges, were discriminating against people based on ethnicity or their place of origin, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So 
they come in, they research the judges, they research the decisions, and they find out it has nothing to do with ethnicity, religion, place of origin, etc. It has mm -hmm. everything to do with the time of day you came before the bail hearing. Mm -hmm. If you came before lunch, odds are you're getting bail. Doesn't matter background, doesn't matter the severity of your crime. Doesn't matter what you did. You're pretty much <laughs> going to get bail or a reduced sentence. Okay. The later in the day, the less likely you would get any kind of reduced sentence. In fact, in some cases, you could get a more severe sentence even for a lesser crime. Wow. And they said, why would this happen? Why were these judges doing it? It came down to something called decision fatigue. Essentially, we can only make so many good decisions in a day. Mm -hmm. The old adage, the old cliche, no, nothing good happens after midnight, is right. based on this as well. You make poor decisions throughout the day. Unfortunately, when that adage, that cliche came out, we didn't have technology to the degree we do now. So earlier in the day, we start making really poor decisions. I would argue mm. it might be 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock. <laughs> For some folks, it might even be earlier in the day. And some examples of famous individuals who um, kind of work around this was Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk. They wear the same thing. If you look at Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, as a prime example, he wears the same thing every day. Yeah, you can much. do a Google image search and you'll Correct. see you'll see the they same look the outfit, exact the hoodie, etc. In fact, if you remember, he recently testified before Congress, and the shock of him walking in in a suit. We're like, oh my gosh, like he didn't wear yeah. his hoodie. It looks the, strange correct. because I don't think we'd ever seen him in a suit before. And if you find out why, it was to mitigate his decisions. He mm -hmm. makes very few decisions till it gets in the office. He takes his leadership very seriously and says, I don't want to waste a decision on an outfit in the day. Now we in the military have the benefit of wearing an outfit that's prescribed for us, but it reduces a decision. Unfortunately, when we make these micro decisions, they add up and start. we start mm -hmm. making poor decisions um, in our day. Uh, that's a, a great example. So anything that you can do as far as a routine, uh, something that is already set in stone where you don't have to decide, at least not right then and there, about that activity, that can help alleviate some of the decision fatigue and, and make it simpler for you. Correct, and even making a decision the night before. So mm -hmm. for instance, laying out what you're going to wear, getting your food squared away, having your schedule written out. There's a lot of research around this to make sure everything's done the night before so the next day you, you reduce the decision so you can make better decisions that you make. And the hard part of it is we make decisions immediately when we wake up. Right. If you haven't already said, I'm getting up at this time, you're just pressing snooze, it's a decision. Mm -hmm. If you're checking your social media, you press a button, you've made a decision. So making sure you only make so many because if not, by the end of the day, especially in our career field or places that emphasize decisions, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can get pretty tired pretty quick. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that actually dovetails nicely with the second component of mental fatigue I want to discuss, which is emotional. So uh, when we are feeling exhausted, whether it's physically or cognitively, a lot of times it plays a role in our emotions, how we experience them and express them. And if you are in, in that emotionally vulnerable state, it can be, um, you know, whether you're overwhelmed or stressed, you may notice that certain negative emotions are more quick to rise to the surface. So you're more prone to getting angry or upset with other people, or you find yourself more anxious, uh, or even feeling depressed. And so one of the good remedies for that is actually something called mindfulness. And I know you and I have talked about that before, I think in one of our earliest podcast episodes mm -hmm. about the utility of mindfulness and how helpful it can be to allowing people uh, not only a, a, an avenue to digest some of those thoughts and emotions, but also as a way to detach themselves from it and just experience them without judgment and to clear their minds. And uh, one of the cool things that actually we're going to be doing in the near future is a uh, pilot study where we look at how this mindfulness meditation piece uh, can help people with their stress, 
with their anxiety, maybe even with their sleep, um, when we integrate it into their daily schedule. So for those of you out there in the 363rd ISR wing, look for this uh, project coming your way. You may have an opportunity to uh, participate in this study and to benefit from some really cool mindfulness training. Um, but if, you're, if you can't wait for that and you're interested right now, there are several smartphone applications that, that can guide you through mindfulness. And whether you've experienced this before or whether this is completely new to you, there are all different tiers to help, you, help guide you and coach you in how this works. And it is a skill just like any other. So uh, don't expect that it's going to happen right away. I mean, you wouldn't walk into a yoga class and expect that you're going to immediately be able to do all the different moves and positions, right? So um, you have to take it a, a little bit at a time, just try it out. Maybe you can only focus for, or lack of focus, for 30 seconds. Great. Next time, try to go for 35 seconds and, and just move on from there. One of the other things I, I like to encourage folks to do when they're feeling emotionally exhausted or maybe when they're overwhelmed by a myriad of different emotions is to talk it out. And the reason that's helpful is because sometimes when we verbally express how we're feeling, it makes a lot more sense to us. That's because we're, we're using different parts of the brain as well. So we, um, the limbic system, the part of uh, our brain where we actually experience emotions is uh, connected to certain parts of our cerebral cortex, but not all of them. But when you verbalize things, now you're using part of your motor cortex and your uh, different hemispheres, and then you hear yourself saying these things as well. So now you've got auditory processing, and so it really helps you more fully understand um, what it is that you're experiencing just by even saying it out loud. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, I certainly have, where um, I expressed a concern that I had to somebody, and, and then I just thought to myself, wow, you know, that made sense in my head, but when I say it out loud, it sounds really silly or it's really stupid. Yeah. Um, it's because that we're able to process it more. And if that's not your cup of tea or maybe this is something really sensitive that you don't want to discuss with somebody else, you just write it out. Um, I've covered expressive writing before in one of the five minutes to thrive. I think that's a really good avenue to get some of these complex thoughts Absolutely. and emotions out on paper and get some of the same benefit from it. Um, but if that's not your cup of tea, we got a third remedy, and that is um, avoiding the things that are going to exacerbate uh, you, you and your experiences in that emotionally vulnerable state. So sometimes when you're feeling sad, you want to listen to a sad song, uh, or you're feeling angry, you want to listen to some hardcore heavy metal, you know, great, there's some research that says that can be really helpful. Uh, but be careful because sometimes I can also prolong that emotional state as well. So, for example, I would not tell anybody who's been really sad and tearful uh, in the recent past to go watch The Notebook or to, um, you know, <laughs> listen to Sarah McLaughlin. You know, those commercials, right? The ones I'm referencing. Because um, that's just going to exacerbate and really exploit how you're feeling emotionally. You need a chance to draw back from that, to get yourself centered, maybe do some mindfulness um, before you're ready to, to engage in some of those more emotional types of activities. Sweet. Well, the second aspect of fatigue we're covering today is social fatigue, and there is also two sections of social fatigue. Uh, one is general social fatigue, and the other one is something that's used in, in colloquialisms as your social media fatigue, also called social fatigue. So we're going to kind of hit both. So the first thing is what is social fatigue? Social fatigue is the tendency to get drained, and that's regardless whether you're an introvert or extrovert. 
Uh, could you briefly explain what the difference between introvert and extrovert is? Sure. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that because I think there's a lot of popular misconceptions about what those terms actually mean. Uh, the original psychological construct of introversion versus extroversion actually has to do with the idea of where we get our energy. So introverts prefer to be alone because it's like where they can recharge their batteries. Whereas extroverts love to be out in a crowd of people and the more the better because that activity uh, actually feeds them energy and it excites them and it, uh, gives them enthusiasm. And so you know, we all will love to do a certain amount of this um, at different times and you know maybe sometimes we're feeling more social maybe sometimes we want to be more solitary but we've all got a, a certain level of threshold where we actually need to detach and we need to um, find a place where we can recharge um, so we're all existing somewhere along this continuum from introversion to extroversion rarely will you meet somebody who is a hundred percent introverted or a hundred percent extroverted um, but that can vary too just depending on the other things that are going on with us that day yeah, and I know as a high E extrovert mm -hmm. person, I still need breaks and time away, especially sure. if you're in a situation where you're interacting with folks all day. I go home and the last thing I want to do is talk to anyone. <laughs> so I just need a small break. So the first thing you have to recognize is the need to ration your social commitments to make sure that you don't have, you're not going home and scheduling a whole night of going out after a whole day of high interaction, unless mm -hmm. if you're drawing energy from it. If it's exhausting to you, you need to have breaks or time away. Recognizing the need to get away is a great first step as well. Or maybe if you work in an environment where you have minimal social contact, making sure that you're intentionally building that into your schedule and your non-work uh, time is really important. And even at work, taking mini breaks. So if you're in a position okay. where you're interacting with people all the time, maybe you're a first sergeant, um, chaplain, psychologist, all of those <laughs> in our wing, taking those mini breaks, five minutes just to get away, you walk around the building, etc. Mm -hmm. And communicate with friends. So if you're out and about, you're on a weekend with your friends and family, say, I just need some time. I just need a few minutes to myself. And honestly, just being extroverted and out with people doesn't make you more spiritual. Jesus got away in a boat. The prophet mm -hmm. Muhammad needed to go into a cave for a period of time. The Buddha would meditate by a tree. These spiritual leaders needed time to themselves as well. So your extroversion is not correlated in any way, shape, or form to um, spirituality. And frankly, neither is introversion. We need a combination of both like you addressed. Now, social fatigue is addressed there to move on to social media fatigue I think it's important in our world where we're constantly connected mm -hmm. so what is social media fatigue um, it's the average person they look at media they start feeling anxiety they start feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. if that's you then you may have some fatigue around this area we have to recognize that half the world's in social the average person spends about 20 minutes a day on social though some people spend hours and the best way to do it is to first step away from social. Just take a few minutes, take a day, take a fast. Some people will use a spiritual time like Lent to say, I'm not going to get on social media for 40 days. So that might not work for you. So maybe just take some a few hours away. Do something like read a book. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, and to clarify, I mean, there's nothing necessarily there's bad nothing wrong about, at all. about no. social media. It's just uh, at some point it can start to run your life to where you feel like, you have to check it regularly. You get anxious or stressed when you don't have your phone with you or, or when you haven't checked your social media in a while. Or that notification acts, acts like a Skinner box yep. that we talked about before. It's reinforcing and gets you all excited like, in, oh, I've got to check this notification. Uh, at that point, you're starting to have um, you know, the social media involved, so involved in your life that it is 
essentially running your life, almost like an addiction. Well, well, and what's interesting about it is if you change this to fitness training, there if you're on a special regimen of any kind, and whether you're mm-hmm. training for like a swim meet or a long run, there are periods of recovery built into training, regardless of the training. So you will, you're swimming all the time, there will be a week off where you're gonna mm-hmm. either go hiking or do something mild, and that's correlated with higher performance. When the world record was changed for running, when it was beaten, it turned out the individual was actually, had taken a week off before the meet. Oh. That they had gone hiking instead, and that's something that's brought into training, even for world cl- world class athletes. The same thing with learning. We can continually be learning, but there's a period of time you should probably take a couple weeks off a year and go maybe read fiction or do something else that's not related or correlated. Yeah. So stepping away from social is totally fine. It works in other disciplines. It works here. And you've called it a fast before, a social media fast. Yep. So Just, but what does that practically look like? Pra- instead of going and checking your social, your favorite social media account, go pick up a book. And I'm talking an actual book, not your digital reader. And shutting off notifications. So if you are reading on your phone or whatnot or a, or a tablet, shut off notifications so that you can read your device without getting a ding and clicking on it because mm-hmm. that alone is going to pull you away and distract you from reading. So reading a physical book that's on printed paper for some of our younger <laughs> folks. The, yeah. And shutting off your notifications when you go to sleep. Oh, so it doesn't oh, absolutely. With, with falling asleep or staying asleep. And one thing that contributes to social media fatigue is are those notifications in the middle of the night where people wake up or they have a problem sleeping and then they end up scrolling for hours on your favorite social media and it happens all the time mm-hmm. when i see people who are tired say well i woke up at midnight i couldn't sleep so what i did was i just started scrolling through my favorite social media account mm-hmm. well the challenge with that is that keeps you awake that backlight the blue light mm-hmm. in the background is actually sending signals to your brain to say hey it's time to wake up right. well it's harder to get back to sleep and you actually have a five minutes to thrive on that as well i got one for everything see i actually read them it's great <laughs> so another thing to to note, and this is something I've come across a lot lately, is the concern for the algorithm. The algorithm is something used by many, I think all social media, to help ensure that the other viewers see your posts. And Mm -hmm. one thing that the algorithm favors is posting multiple times a day. So if you post four times a day, it's more likely that people in your feed will see Mm -hmm. your post. Well, many people will take this so seriously in their personal lives, like, oh, I need to do a post. I have to do one at 10 o'clock, because if not, no one will see my feed. Mm -hmm. Well, my opinion is to just kind of step back, that's you. I understand there's some reasons for that, like maybe your organization uses social media or you're, um, you got a business. You, yeah, or you have something. a business, something like that on the side. However, my opinion is if you're going to post, just be creative. You know, first always use OPSEC, but be creative. Be who you are on social. Post some, you know, something that you drew or, or something you're interested in. Be authentic. Don't put a facade on Facebook. We all see the perfect everything that's, that's there. Just be who you are. And I think most people know that, that they're getting a biased representation of other people's lives, that they're only seeing the positive and they're not seeing the negative. But that still affects us non-consciously. We, and, and a lot of people, especially those who spend a lot of time on social media, can actually start to become depressed because they see all these great things going on in other people's lives and they, they ask, why isn't my life like that? You know, why, why am I not at that point? I, I remember when I went through the life stage where all my friends were getting married and all my friends were having their first baby and all my friends were getting this new job or a promotion. I was like, am I, be, am I behind the curve here? You know, I'm, I'm still in school. Like I'm, I'm missing out on these, these life stages. Everybody's ahead of me. Um, but to realize that we're seeing, we're seeing the good and maybe we're only presenting the good too, there's probably plenty of other people who are feeling that way. So it can be good to get a break and just recenter and, and remember that life is life. 
Uh, it doesn't all happen from this bias perspective. And to use that life and is life analogy to end with, uh, to close with, is, is pick one, two, maybe three social media accounts to have. You don't need to have a hundred social media accounts. I meet people like, oh, this is the newest one. I've downloaded it. And, I, and I'm, there are tons out there if you're not familiar. Mm -hmm. Just pick a few and stick with it. You know, I haven't updated my MySpace account in a long time. <laughs> I don't know our listeners might not even know what that is. But just note, it can just take a few, and that way you reduce your time. There's other things in life than what's on your digital device. Right. Just take, take advantage of the ones that give you some kind of personal benefit or Correct. are helping you meet whatever your goals were when you first joined that platform. I completely agree. Okay. So on that note, we want to thank you for listening to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. Until next time. If you need us, please reach out to us in the global address list or look for our forthcoming Twitter account. We want to thank you for what you do for our nation, and we just hope you have a great day. Mm -hmm.